Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of Ezra chapter 3 from verse 7 to 13. When I'm done, I would say this is the word of the Lord and you will respond by saying thanks be to God. Ezra chapter 3 from verse 7 to 13. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work. They appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, Kadmael, and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad, and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with the trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, With symbols to their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Okay. So if there's nobody here for the first time, but we are continuing our series in the book of Ezra. It's titled The Gracious Turnaround. And really what we are doing is that we are following the journey of the Jews as they return to Jerusalem after 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And last week, we saw them rebuilding the altar 
And in the passage we're going to look at in Ezra chapter 3, from the 7 to 13, we see them rebuilding the temple. And when I think about what they are doing, this rebuilding, what comes to my mind is renewal. First of all, because the words renew and renovate, they come from the same root word. But also, more importantly, because even though the Jews are embarking on a construction project, they are also seeking spiritual renewal. How? Because the temple was not just a house. It was where they made the offerings and the sacrifices that enabled them to approach a holy God. But the temple was not just about a personal relationship with God. The temple was a symbol that Israel as a nation had been marked as God's special people. The temple was at the center of God's plan to use Israel to bring his blessings to all the nations of the earth. We see that in Isaiah 56. He says, and the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, I will bring to my holy mountain. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so this rebuilding the temple, it was a physical work, but it was deeply spiritual as well. It was a work of not just personal renewal like we saw last week, but corporate, collective renewal for the people of Israel as a whole. And this means that this passage has a lot of applications for the church in general, but particularly for us in City Church, because we talk about renewal a lot. In fact, the vision of City Church is to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that does what? Renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. And I think and I believe that by looking at what the Jews were doing in this season of rebuilding and restoration and renewal, we can find wisdom as we seek renewal as well. And so I have titled the sermon, Seeking Renewal. And we're going to look at it under two headings, Seeking Renewal and experiencing renewal. But before we go ahead, let's, let's just go to God in prayer. Our Father and God, we ask for your help. We ask that your word will transform. We ask that your word will come and change our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. The word renew is an interesting word. I like to say it's, it tells you that there is history. I like to say that when you hear the word renew, the word renew is shaped like a V. When you hear renew, it tells you that something was up and it has come down. And now you hope that eventually it's going to go all the way back up. And our first reaction when we look at the Jews in the book of Ezra, they had just come back from Babylon. It looks like they're at the rock bottom, at the bottom of their V. They don't have any walls in their, te- in their city. They don't have a temple. Everything is a mess. But that's not so true. The Jews are actually in a much better position as a nation than they have been in a very long time. Why? Because the first thing about renewal is that it cannot happen until there's an acknowledgement that things are not the way they ought to be. Until this happens, it will look Around, it will look abstract to you. You won't be able to grasp it. You may mentally ascend to it, but you will not know it's deep in your heart. Something happened to me a long time ago. Very embarrassing story, but here we go. Sometime around 2019, 2020, 
It was a very busy time work-wise. And my wife was giving me a lot of feedback that, hey, you're not very involved with our second daughter. I was like, yeah, that makes sense, but all this is going on. Can you not see what is happening? And we kept going back and forth on it. And I just shrugged it off. Until one day, I was talking to Lumide. I can't remember what we were talking about. And for some reason, both of us called Nina at the same time. And she ran to Lumide. <laughs> I wanted to die. <laughs> it was one of the worst days of my life. But also, it was a very good day. Because it made me realize that I needed to change. And that's what we see with the Jews long before they go on exile. God had been calling them to change their ways, but they did not listen. The entire book of Jeremiah is about this. Jeremiah chapter 6 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. In fact, in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 10, he has a vision of the glory of God leaving the temple. But it continues to be business as usual. And this is very serious because it means that long before the temple was physically destroyed, the Jews had no temple. Because a temple is a place where God and man meet. And if God is no longer there, it's just a house. It has ceased to be a temple. And the saddest part is that they did not know. And it took the destruction and the exile for them to realize that they need help. Renewal, they needed help. Renewal starts with an acknowledgement that we need help. But it's not very easy to realize this. It's really difficult to admit that you're falling off. Why is it so difficult to realize it? Sometimes the reason we do not realize that we need renewal there are many reasons, but one of them I want to talk about today is because we may have prioritized the wrong metrics. One of the greatest Nigerian footballers was a guy called Austin J.J. Okocha. Fantastic player. So good, they named him twice. <laughs> but he was also very frustrating to watch. Because he will spend all the time dribbling, 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 leg over, this, that. He will not lose the ball. He will not stand. <laughs> and smile. What is wrong with this guy? Prioritizing dribbling. Yes, dribbling is great. But the aim of football is to win. And the same way we can be so focused on so many other things. We are dribbling here and there, dribbling, dribbling, that we lose sight of what is really important. But this, this doesn't just happen to individuals. It happens to churches as well. Jesus tells the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, you say, I am rich. That's verse 17. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And if you look at metrics like attendance and social media engagement and, and proximity to political power, it looks like we are in a golden age of Nigerian Christianity. But we must ask ourselves, are these really the metrics that God values? 
Are people actually turning away from their idols? Are we growing in character and holiness? Is our love and passion for Jesus on the rise? Or are we dribbling? Renewal starts with an acknowledgement that you need fixing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is where we see the Jews in the book of Ezra. God finally has them where he wants them. They are finally in a place where they can experience this renewal. Where they can experience God's gracious turnaround. And so we are going to go into the text and see how they went about it. Well, we need to understand something for context. It has been 70 years. 70 years is a long time. The oldest people among them would have been toddlers when they went on exile. These guys don't really know what they are doing. We saw two weeks ago in Ezra chapter 2 verse 63 that even the high priest did not even know how to discern God's will. They're like Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder, like one of my bosses would say, the blind leading the blind. Question, how do you go about recovering what has been lost in such a situation? Let's get together. <laughs> how do we go about doing it? First of all, and this is vital, the Jews seek renewal by returning to the scriptures. If you look at verse 10, it talks about the instructions of David, the king of Israel. Where did they see what David said? From the Bible. And I'm not going to dwell on this because we are going to talk about this later in the series. But there is no renewal. In fact, every true renewal must be centered on the word of God. But there are also some things going on in the passage. If you look at verse 7 and 8, it says, So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Verse 8. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, something would ring a bell. But if you're not, it's fine. That's why we're here. Let's look at it together. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Solomon is about to build the first temple. And what does he do? Verse 3, he says, Solomon sent this message to Hiram, king of Tyre. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. And if you compare 2 Chronicles chapter 2 with Ezra chapter 3, can we have it up? You will see that they use the same wood from the same country. They pay using the same means. It lands in the same port, Joppa. It doesn't end there. They even begin to build in the same month that Solomon did. In the second month. And I think the writer of Hebrews wants you to notice the parallels. It's almost as if the Jews are saying, let us go and find out. How did our fathers build the temple in the days of God's favor? What are the principles they laid down that we can follow? You see, the Jews do not engage in what is called chronological snobbery. That is, because something is new, it's automatically better. 
And if this is something that we are prone to, we just feel like we know everything. We are better than the previous generation. But have you ever wondered, how is it that our parents could do morning devotion for the whole family, day in, day out, sometimes twice a, twice a day, and still do their quiet time? But we struggle to maintain a devotional life. How is it that in those days, if somebody was a Christian, everybody knew that they could be trusted. But now when you hear Christian, you want to run in the opposite direction. How is it that those people turn their communities upside down with the gospel, but we struggle to even invite our neighbors to church? What do they know that we don't? Our generation needs to do like the Jews and return to the ancient parts. What are these ancient parts? If there's anything that I know that the previous generation did, is that they spent time praying. There is no move of God that has not been preceded and sustained by intercessory prayers. Yes, we can plan. Yes, we can analyze. We can do this and that. But if the church does not spend time in the place of prayer, we will never see God at work. That's our fathers. They knew this very well. A quick story. In 1969, during what is, what is called the Civil War Revival, which is, was like from the late 60s to the early 80s, the traveling secretary of the Scripture Union, Reverend Mike Oye, was very young then, about 30 years old. He went to a school in Ondo State, Victory College, to preach. And the principal said, sure, you can come tomorrow, but I can only give you five minutes. And he said, no problem. And he went home and spent the whole night praying to God. God, move in this place. God, do something. God, save lives. And this is, here is how, here's what happened the next day. Here's how Reverend Gary Maxi describes what happens in, in, happened in his book. He says, as, as Reverend Oye described, the, as he described the awfulness of sin and extended an invitation for people to repent and receive Jesus, something totally unexpected happened. It was as though suddenly the whole place was set on fire by some invisible power. The atmosphere became charged as by some great electrical force. Students began dropping to the floor under the preaching and the power of God as they felt the weight and calamity of their darling sins. Within less than five minutes after Oye opened his mouth, people all over the hall were weeping profusely. As he made clear efforts to honor his time limits, the same principal who had warned him about exceeding his allotted time quietly signaled, go on. Go on, don't stop now. And he says, what had started as a five-minute Bible message was now the spark of one more harvest of souls that will extend beyond those five minutes to a three-day visit. All classes were canceled as both students and staff members sought the face of God. And he says, it was a scene with which Oye was already quite familiar and that was to be repeated yet dozens of more times as the fire continued to spread in ever-widening circles. How dare we think that we can get supernatural results from God without spending time in the place of prayer? Let me bring it a little closer to home. If you remember, if you had parents that were Christians, they had prayer partners. Have you thought about the idea of prayer partners before? That we are friends that meet together regularly. Not for Sunday brunch. There's nothing wrong with that. Not because we want to game, do game nights. That's fine. But they meet together regularly because they say, we need to seek the face of God. Why? Because our parents knew something that we seem to have forgotten. That it is impossible to live the Christian life without power from God. 
We looked at this earlier in the year, Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And there's a song that says, if Jesus could pray, if Peter could pray, if our fathers could pray, who am I not to pray? We need to return to the ancient past. But we shouldn't just learn from the practices of the past. We also need to learn from the knowledge of the past. A British writer, G.K. Chesterton, says, Real development is not leaving things behind as on a road, but drawing life from them as from a root. There are people who have gone on before us, who in the words of C.S. Lewis, were, were, really, were really in touch with God. And they encounter God in ways we can, you and I cannot even begin to imagine. And we rob ourselves of so much when we ignore the wisdom of God's people that have gone on before us. Your prayer life is going down. I don't care who you are. It's very hard to read books on prayer by E.M. Bounds and remain the same. And it's a running joke that I like to quote C.S. Lewis. But think about it. I've not lived long enough. I'm not wise enough to help you based on my own experience alone. And that's why C.S. Lewis was actually so, it's so compelling because he immersed himself in the knowledge of the past. So Isaac Newton put it best and he said, if I could see further than others, it's because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. Real development is not leaving things behind as on a road, but drawing life from them as from a root. But the Jews do not just return to past practices and past knowledge. They also return to testimonies of God's past faithfulness. Verse 11 says, And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to God. For he is good, and his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They said, His steadfast love endures forever. The Jews were saying, all throughout our history, there is something that has been constant, and that has been the faithfulness of God. Yes, they are returning to what David said. They are returning to what David did. They are returning to what Solomon did. But those guys were not perfect at all. But there was a love that endured, that never gave up, that never ran out, a mercy that was new every morning, that never came to an end. And I think what is going on here is that they are saying, God, if you walked with our fathers in spite of them, then you can walk with us as well. Why? Because your steadfast love endures forever. But also notice, the Jews are not speaking generically here. They know that God is faithful. And this saying that give thanks to the Lord for his good and his love endures forever is all over the Bible. But this is in a time in the Bible that it appears like this, that his steadfast love towards Israel endures forever. They are personalizing it. They are talking about their specific history. Thank God for the great awakening. But God has not only walked in the West. We too have a rich history of God moving in our country over and over again. In the 1910s in the Niger Delta, in the 1930s in the Southwest, in the 1960s to the 1980s with young people all over the country. And I'm just a generation away from that, so I can tell you, eyewitness account after the other of God at work in our country. 
of people coming to faith in to Christ, coming to faith in Christ in their thousands. And when I mean thousands, I'm saying that a mission team stopped counting after 10,000 people got, got converted in one year. They say this thing is distracting us. I can tell you stories of the power of God being so strong that people in neighboring villages took their idols and ran into the bush because they knew that if the people of God came, those powers would be gone forever. I can tell you stories of people who, of God moving in a mighty way, performing signs and wonders. People like Henderson Jumbo, he had a spinal problem. He had an accident. He broke his spine and he had been bedridden for 60 months. And he came into a meeting and they were singing adoration. People were not praying. They were singing during adoration and the power of God fell upon him and he was healed permanently. Why did these things happen? Not because they were perfect, not because they were worthy, but because there is a God who is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards us. And you know what happens? When we meditate on God's previous faithfulness, faith begins to rise in us. We begin to believe as a church that renewal is possible. We begin to pray and tell God to do it again. But most importantly, we begin to launch out in faith. That's what we see in this passage. Let's go back to verse 10. He says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His steadfast love towards Israel endures forever. Now, if we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 5, at the first temple, the education of the first temple, in Solomon time, the same thing happens as well. Same people singing. Same instruments. It's almost the same passage. Trumpeters, musicians, they gave praise to the Lord. Trumpets, cymbals, and they raised their voice and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. But there is a, and it suggests to us that this is a, what is happening in Ezra is a repeating of that ceremony. But there is a key difference. The one in 2 in Chronicles happens after the temple has been completed. In other words, the Jews in Ezra are doing a completion ritual at the foundation lane ceremony. They don't know how long it will take to build a temple. They don't know what will happen tomorrow. But they go ahead and do something at the beginning that they should have been doing at the end. Why? Because they are convinced of this very thing. That he that began this good work is faithful to complete it. And that's why we can expect renewal as well. That's why we know that God not only can, but will restore his church. That's why we can launch out in faith. Because his promise still stands. Oh. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. And if you're an overthinker like me, you start saying, God has never failed me yet, but I have failed him so many times. But I also know how he works. God's love is not a contract, but a covenant. A covenant that depends not on the ability of the recipients to keep up their end, but on the power of the sovereign to keep his promises. 
And it's because of this covenant love, this steadfast love that endures forever, that we see in the Bible, these cycles of destruction and rebuilding of temples. We see God, if you look at the Bible, initiating temples, sin, destroying them. But instead of God giving up, he says, let's do it again. The first temple we see in the Bible was in Eden. How was Eden a temple? A temple is a place where man and God meet. What happened to that temple? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned and destroyed that temple. What does God do? Does he throw them away? He says, let's do it again. He calls the Jews to build the tabernacle. And for a while, things are great. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, take away the ark of God from the tabernacle. And yes, he comes back to Israel, but he never goes back to the tabernacle. Does God abandon Israel? No. What does he say? Let's do it again. He has, he has Samuel and Solomon build the temple. And the Jews sin and sin. And they go into exile. Does God abandon them? No. He tells them, let's do it again. He brings them back. And they are building the temple in Ezra. And you would think that they have learned their lesson. But in the book of Matthew chapter 21, we see that the place that was supposed to be called a house of prayer has become a den of thieves. What does God do? He says, let's do it again. He sends a new temple. This temple is not a garden. It's not a tent. It's not a building, but a person. The Bible says the world became flesh and tabernacled among us. He was Emmanuel, God with us, fully man, fully God. But what happens to this temple? Sin destroys this temple yet again. But this time it wasn't just the sin of a family or the sin of a country, but the sin of the entire world. On the cross, Jesus, God's perfect temple, is destroyed for our sins. But that's not the end of the story because Jesus had said in John chapter 2 verse 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And the Bible says after three days, just as he has said, God raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, God said, this time I will rebuild this temple myself. In Jesus, God's perfect temple we see the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, 56, that God will bring foreigners to his holy mountain and accept their sacrifices. But beyond that, he makes us not just worship us in this new temple, but by our union with Christ, we become part of the temple itself. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you see? God himself is the one who builds this temple. And that means that despite your best efforts, God's temple will never again be destroyed. Yes, we are living sacrifices that love to get up and run away from the altar. But God does not abandon us. He says, let's do it again. I'm going to send streams of refreshing. I'm going to send streams of renewal. I'm going to do it again and again. We see this with the church in Laodicea that I talked about. Revelation chapter 3, they have gone far away from Christ. But what does Christ do? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man I, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. 
And I'm speaking to someone here. I know we are talking about corporate renewal, but maybe you used to have a vibrant, not just vibrant, an intimate relationship with God. And you feel like those days are gone forever. But hear God's word to you today. Job chapter 14 verse 7, there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, though its roots grow old in the earth and its storm die in the soil, yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. God is going to restore you today. Receive the restoration of God. Receive streams of renewal. Receive times of refreshing in the name of Jesus. What happens when there's renewal? My second point, don't worry, it's going to be about just 10 minutes. We see three things in the passage. The first is a restoration of Christ-centered praise and worship. Verse 11, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, they were the ones that laid the foundation. They worked really hard. But also, they realized that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain and build it. They realized that it was only because of God's goodness that they could have achieved anything. And this, they are thinking about this, overflowed into praise. And it was not just a praise of singing and folding your hands and keeping quiet. No, the Bible says they shouted with a great shout. And we say, oh, you cannot make this a rule for everybody. Everybody expresses things differently. And that's true. But is it not strange? And the people of God are more moved when their football team scores a goal and they are moved by the goodness of God. Is it not strange that you are more moved at your artist shows and you are moved by the grace of Jesus? When we truly encounter God, something happens inside us. Maybe you do not shout like the Jews here, but maybe, like the song says, you are undone by mercy and less speechless. Maybe you fall at his feet. There is something about who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus that moves you at a deep level. And so when you hear your grace has found me just as I am, you know that everything that you are is only by his grace. And the word worship means to lick somebody's hand like a dog. Because you know that you are everything that you are because of his amazing grace. Renewed people are worshipful people. Renewed people are kneelers. What else happens when we experience renewal? Verse 12 and 13. It says, But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Now remember, these guys have spent 70 years in captivity. They've had a long time to think about what went wrong. There's a song of lament that they used to sing back in the day. It's a very popular song. It's in Psalm 137. It says this, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our hearts upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
But how? How? How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they go on to say, if I forget the old Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the root of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. And so think about it. After 70 years of longing, they are finally back in Jerusalem. They can finally sing the Lord's song in their homeland. And they're just overwhelmed with emotion. And yes, they're thankful that the temple is being built again. But I think they're also thinking, was it worth it? Do we have to go through all this pain before we listen to God? And yes, what I think that this weeping was a weeping of godly sorrow because renewal is marked by deep repentance. So what the Bible talks about, when the Bible talks about renewal in Zechariah 12, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. When God is at work, there is genuine sorrow for sin. The more we see God's holiness, the more our awareness of our sin grows. We begin to hate our sin and want to be delivered from it. Not just our surface sins, but our greed and our pride, our apathy and our lust. Well, it's such a weird picture, isn't it? Sorrow and joy mingle together that people cannot know what's happening. People crying and people shouting and nobody knows what is going on. But also, it's also such a good picture of the Christian life. That as we grow in sanctification, yes, our awareness of sin grows more and more, but also our gratitude to God grows even more. And in the middle, the cross looms larger and larger. The gospel looms larger and larger. Because like Tim Keller said, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. The final thing we see that happens when we experience renewal is that God's people begin to do his work. Verse 8. Now in the second year, after they are coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. And it makes sense for the priests and the Levites to be involved. Because after all, that's what they did. That was their work. But the passage does not stop there. Who else does he say did the work? The end of verse 8, he says, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. And if you go back to the building of the first temple, you will see that people from all over Israel actually participated in the building of the first temple. But there's a key difference. How did that one happen? First Kings 5 to 13. He says, King Solomon drafted first labor out of all Israel. And the draft number 30,000 men. In other words, he had to compel them. He had to force them to do the work. But when God's spirit is at work, when he's renewing us, what happens? Ezra 3 verse 1, it says, The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. All of them began to do the work. It means that people were not, the leaders were not chasing people up and down. 
It means that people are not saying, no, the leaders should do it. The elders should do it. The staff should do it. No, but they are saying, how? Like we learned a few weeks ago, how can I participate in growing God's kingdom? How can I be part of what God is doing? Because you see, here at City Church, we believe that a holistic vision of renewal is not just spiritual, but social and cultural as well. As well. What that means simply is that as God is changing you, the change does not stop with you, but it spreads to other people, and it spreads to other people, and it continues to spread until the city of Lagos is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, until the light of the gospel shines all over the city of Lagos. I'm... I may be saying I don't have anything to offer. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to start from. But hold on. When God is at work, everybody becomes a tool in the, house, in the hand of God. See what the Bible says happens when God is at work. Zechariah 12 verse 8. Zechariah 12 verse 8. It says, On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. In other words, even the weakest of you will be a giant killer. Listen, listen, listen. God has done it before, over and over and over again. And I believe with all my heart that he can do it again in our time. The vision of City Church to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos is a declaration of faith that we believe that our city can be renewed by the gospel, that we believe that God can do it again. But it's also a prayer. And we are saying not only do we want to see renewal in our city, God, we want it to start with us. We want to be the catalyst that brings this renewal. Not because we are special, but because there is a God who is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And today we are going to take that prayer to God back in faith. And tell him, yes, thank you God for what you have done so far. But we want to see more. We are going to tell him like the hymn says, mercy drops, round us are falling. But for the showers, we plead. Hey, if you want to see God at work, can we rise to our feet? As we take this prayer back to God. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast, and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City